0: chapter seven of agincourt a romance by george payne rainsford james this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven the coronation five days after the events related in the last chapter richard of woodville leaving armourers and tailors busy in his house at meon rode away for london accompanied by two yeomen a page and ned whose talents had not been long in displaying themselves in the service of his new master. He had instructed the tailors, he had assisted the armourers, he had aided to choose the horses, he had drawn figures for fresh pallets and pauldrons, and he had with his own hand manufactured a superb bridle and bit, ornamented with gilt steel plates, jesting, laughing, talking all the while, and overcoming the obstinacy and the vanity of the old artificers, Who would fain have equipped the young gentleman who employed them in the fashions of the early part of the last reign, all new inventions in those days travelling slowly from the capital to the country? Ned Durham, however, had been in many lands and had accumulated in a head which possessed extraordinary powers, both of observation and memory, an enormous quantity of patterns and designs of everything new or strange, which he had seen, and sometimes with a laugh, sometimes with an argument he drove those who were inclined to resist all innovation to adopt his proposed improvements greatly against their will. But though his tongue occasionally ran fast, and he seemed to take a pleasure occasionally in confounding his slower opponents with a torrent of words, yet on all subjects but those immediately before him he kept his own counsel, and not one of the servants of the house when he set out with Woodville from London.' Was aware of who or what he was, whence he came, or where he had gained so much knowledge. The first day's journey was a long one, and Richard of Woodville and his train were not many miles from London when they again set forth early on the following morning, so that it was not yet noon on the ninth of April when they approached the city of Westminster along the banks of the Thames. Winding in and out through fields and hedgerows where now are houses, manufactories, and prisons with a soft air of spring breathing upon them and the scent of the early cowslips for which that neighbourhood was once famous rising up and filling the whole air they came on now catching now losing the view of the large heavy abbey church of westminster and its yet unfinished towers of the same height as the main building while rising tall above it appeared the belfry of st stephen's chapel with its peaked roof open at the sides, displaying part of the three enormous bells, one of which was said falsely to weigh thirty thousand pounds. The top of two other towers might also be seen from time to time over the trees, and also part of the buildings of the monastery adjoining the abbey. But these were soon lost, as the lane which the travellers were following wound round under the west side of Tote Hill a gentle elevation covered with greensward and ornamented with clumps of oak and birch and fir amidst which might be discovered here and there some large stone houses richly ornamented with sculpture and surrounded with their own gardens the lanes the paths the fields were filled with groups of people in their holiday costume all flocking towards westminster and what with the warm sunshine the greenness of the grass the tender verdure of the young foliage and the gay dresses of the people, the whole scene was as bright and lively as it is possible to conceive. At the same time, the loud bells of St. Stephen's began to ring with the merriest tones they could produce, and a distant hurrah came upon the wind. "'Now, Ned, which is the way?' asked Richard of Woodville, calling up his new attendant to his side as they came to a spot where the lane divided into two branches, one taking the right-hand side of the hill and one the left.' "'This seems the nearest,' he continued, pointing down the former, "'but I know naught of the city.' "'The nearest may prove the farthest,' replied Ned Dyrum, riding up, "'as it often does, my master. "'That is the shortest, good sooth, "'but they call the shortest often the fool's way, "'and we might be made to look like fools if we took it. "'For though it leads round the end of St. Stephen's Lane, "'methinks that to-day none will be admitted to the palace court by that gate,' "'as it is the king's coronation morning.' "'Indeed,' said Woodville, "'I knew not that it was so. "'Nor I either,' answered Ned, "'but I know it now.' "'And how, pray?' asked his new master. "'By every sight and sound,' replied Ned "Dyram, "'by that girl's pink coats, "'by that good man's blue cloak, "'by the bells ringing, "'by the people running, "'by the hurrah we heard just now, "'I ever put all I hear and see together.' "'For a man who only sees one thing at once "'will never know what time he is living in.' "'Then we had better turn to the left,' said Woodville, "'not caring to hear more of his homily. "'Of course, if this be the coronation day, "'I shall not get speech of the king till tomorrow, "'but we may as well see what is going on.' "'To the left will lead you right,' replied his quibbling companion. "'That is to say, to the great gate before the palace court, "'and then we shall discover whether the king will speak with you or not.' Each prince has his own manners, and ours has changed so boldly in one day, that no one can judge from that which the lad did, what the man will do. "'Has he changed much, then?' asked Woodville, riding on. "'It must have been sudden, indeed, if you had time to see it ere you left him.' "'Aye, has he?' answered Dyram. "'The very day of his father's death he put on not the robes of royalty, but the heart, and those who were his comrades before gave place to other men.' They who counted much upon his love found a cold face, and they who looked for hate met with naught but grace. Then perhaps my reception may not be very warm, said Woodville thoughtfully. You may judge yourself better than I can, Master Mine, replied Ned Dyram. Did you ever sit with him in the tavern drinking quarts of wine? No, answered Richard of Woodville, smiling. "'Then you shall be free of his table,' said Ned. "'Did you ever shoot deer with him by moonlight?' "'Never,' was his master's reply. "'Then you may chance to taste his venison,' rejoined the man. "'Did you ever brawl, swear, and break heads for him, or with him?' "'No, truly,' said the young gentleman. "'I fought under him, with the army in Wales, when he and I were both but boys. "'And I led him on his way one dark night, two days before his father died. "'But that is all I know of him.' "'Then perchance you may enter into his council,' answered Dyram, "'For now that he is royal, he thinks royally, and he judges man for himself, not with the eyes of others.' "'As all kings should,' said Richard of Woodville. "'And few kings do,' rejoined Ned. "'I was not so lucky, but many a mad prank have I seen during the last year. "'And though he knows, and heaven knows, I never prompted what others did.' "'yet I was one of the old garments he cast off "'as soon as he put on the new ones. "'I fared better than the rest, indeed, "'because I sometimes had told him a rough truth, "'and trust I shall fare better still if I do his bidding.' "'And what may be his bidding?' asked Richard of Woodville, "'for doubtless he gave you one when he sent you to me. "'He bade me live well and forget former days "'as he had forgotten them,' replied Ned Dyeron, "'and he bade me serve you well, master, "'if you took me with you.' "'so you have no cause to think ill of the counsel "'that he gave me in your case. "'But here we are, master mine, "'and a goodly sight it is to see.' "'As he spoke, they turned into the wide street, "'or rather road, which led from the village of Charing "'to the gates of the palace at Westminster, "'and a gay and beautiful scene it certainly presented, "'whichever side the eye turned. "'To the north was seen the old Gothic building, "'destroyed in the reign of Edward the Sixth, "'where the royal falcons were kept.' and called from that circumstance the mew. While a little in advance, upon a spot slightly elevated, stood the beautiful stone cross, one of the monuments of undying regard erected in the village of Charing by King Edward I. To the left appeared the buttery and lodge, and other officers of the hospital and convent of St. James's, forming together a large pile of buildings, with gates and arches cutting each other in somewhat strange confusion, while the higher stories... "'supported by corbels, overhung the lower. "'The effect of the whole, however, "'massed together by the distance, was grand and striking, "'while the trees of the fields, then belonging to the nunnery, "'and afterwards formed into a park, "'broke the harsher lines and marked the distances "'down the course of the wide road. "'A little nearer, but on the opposite side of the way, "'with gardens and stairs extending to the river, "'was the palace or lodging of the Kings of Scotland.' The edifice has been destroyed but the grounds has still retained the name which it then bore and many years had not elapsed at the time i speak of since that mansion had been inhabited by the monarchs of the northern part of this island when they came to take their seats in parliament in right of their english fiefs Gardens succeeded till appeared somewhat projecting beyond the line of road the old stern building which had once been the property of hubert de burgh earl of kent More like a fortress than a dwelling, though its gloomy aspect was relieved by a light and beautiful chapel, lately built on the side nearest to Westminster by one of the Archbishops of York. Several smaller edifices, sometimes constructed of brick, sometimes of grey stone, were seen on the right and left, all in that peculiar style of architecture so much better fitted to the climate of Northern Europe and the character of her people than the light and graceful buildings of the Greeks, which we imitate in the present day, generally with such heavy impotence, and still between all appeared the green branches of oaks and beeches, and fields and gardens, blending this city and the country together. Up the long vista, thus presented, were visible thousands of groups on horseback and on foot, decked out in gay and glittering colours, and as brilliant a scene displayed itself to the south, in the wide court before the palace, surrounding which appeared the venerable abbey, the vast hall, the long line of the royal dwelling, the monastery, the chapel of St. Stephen, with its tall belfry, and many another tower and lofty archway, and the old church of St. Margaret, built about a century and a half before, together with the lofty yet heavy buildings of the wool staple and the row of arches underneath. Banners and pennons fluttering in the wind, long gowns of monks and secular clergymen, tabards and mantles of every hue under the sun, the robes and headdresses of the ladies and their women, and the gorgeous trappings of the horses, catching the light as they moved hither and thither, rendered the line from the Eleanor Cross to the palace one living rainbow, while the river, flowing gently on upon the east, was covered with boats, all tricked out with streamers and fluttering ribbons even the grave the old and those dedicated to seclusion and serious thought seemed to have come forth for this one day and amongst the crowd might be distinguished more than one of the long grey black or white grounds and the coif and veil which marked the nun all seemed gay however and nothing was heard but laughter merriment gay jests the ringing of the bells the sounding of clarions and every now and then the deep tone of the organ through the open windows of the abbey or a wild burst of martial music from the lesser court of the palace habited in black as mourning for his unhappy cousin richard of woodville felt himself hardly fitted for so gay a scene but his good mien and courteous carriage gained him many a civil word as he moved along or perchance some shrewd jest as the frank simplicity of those days allowed where is the black man going cried a pert london apprentice he must be chief mourner for the dead king nay he is fair enough to look upon tom replied a pretty girl by his side you would give much to be as fair take care of my toes master exclaimed a stout citizen your horse is mettlesome he shall not hurt you good sir replied woodville let me hold by your legs sir squire said a woman near so i shall have a stout prop blessings on this fair good-natured face cried an old woman "'He has lost his lady, I will wager my life.' "'You have not much there to lose, good mother,' "'answered a man behind her. "'Well, he will soon find another lady,' "'rejoined a buxom dame, who seemed of the same party, "'if he takes those eyes to court.' "'Out on it, master!' exclaimed a man, "'who had been amusing the people round him by bad jokes. "'Is your horse a cut-purse? "'He had his nose in my pouch.' "'Where he found nothing, I dare say,' "'answered Woodville.' and in the midst of the peal of laughter which followed from the easily moved multitude, he made his way forward to the gates, where he was stopped by a wooden barrier drawn across, and guarded by a large posse of the royal attendants, habited in their coats of ceremony. "'What now, what now?' asked one of the jacks of office, with a large mace in his hand as Woodville rode up. "'You can have no entrance here, Sir Squire, if you be not of the king's house, or have not an order from one of his lords,' The court is crowded already. The King will not have room to pass back. Before his master could answer, however, Ned Dyeron pushed forward his horse and addressed the porter, saying, in a tone of authority, "'Up with the barrister, Master Robert Nesenham. 'Tis a friend of the King's, for whom he sent me. "'Master Richard of Woodville. "'You know the name.' "'That's another affair, Ned,' replied the other. "'But let me see. "'Are you not on the list of those who must not come to court?' "'Not I,' replied Ned Dyram. "'or, if I be, you have put me on yourself, Robin. "'Tis but the other day I left his grace upon this errand.' "'Well, come in, if it be so, Varlet,' replied the porter, lifting the barrier. "'But if you come forbidden, the pillory and your ears will be acquainted. "'How many men of you are there? "'Stand back, fellows, or I will break your pates. "'Seat him. "'There is a fellow slipping through. "'Drive him back. "'Give him a throw. "'Cast him over. "'Break his neck. Five of you, that is all. Stand back, fellows, or you shall into limbo.' While the good man strove with the crowd without, who all struggled manfully to push through the barrier when it was open, Richard of Woodville and his followers made their way on into the court, and, dismounting from his horse in the more open space which it afforded, he advanced towards the passage which was kept clear by the royal officers between the door of the great hall and the abbey at first he was placed near a stout man dressed as a wealthy citizen and he inquired of him how long the king had been in the church three parts of an hour replied the other did you not hear the shout and the bells begin to ring oh it was a grand sight there was but the rest of what he said was drowned by the noise around aided by a loud flourish of trumpets from the hall the crowd however was constantly changing and swaying to and fro and Woodville soon found himself separated from the man to whom he had spoken by two or three of the secular clergy of the city, and a somewhat coquettish-looking nun who wore over her grey gown a blue ribbon and a silver cross. She turned round and looked at him with her veil up, showing a very pretty face and a pair of bright blue eyes. A fat monk was behind and a man dressed as a scrivener, but all were intent upon watching the door of the abbey as if they expected the royal procession soon to reappear and woodville turned his eyes thither also the next moment he heard a voice pronounce his own name and then add beware of simeon of roydon and let not harry dacre fight with him richard turned sharply round and gazed at those behind him but he saw no face that he knew but those of ned dirham and one of his own men the rest of the group in his immediate neighbourhood was composed of two monks another nun a doctor of divinity in his cope a tall man in a surcoat of arms and two elderly ladies with portentous headdresses, a full half-yard broad and two feet high it was a woman's voice however that he had heard and he inquired at once of the nearest woman did you speak lady to be sure i did answered the good dame in a sharp tone i asked my brother what the hour is no offence in that sir i suppose "'Oh, none, assuredly,' replied Richard of Woodville, "'but I thought you mentioned my name.' "'I do not know it, young sir,' replied the lady. "'Come away, brother, the squire is saucy.' And she and her party moved on, making a complete change in the disposition of the group. In vain Richard of Woodville looked beyond the little circle in which they stood. He could see no face that he knew, and at length turning to Ned Durham he inquired if he had heard anyone mention his name. "'That good dame, or someone near her, certainly did,' replied the man, "'but I could not see exactly who it was. "'It might be the other woman.' "'Was she old, too?' demanded Woodville. "'Too old for your wife, and too young for your mother,' answered Ned, "'somewhat on the touch of forty years.' As he spoke, there was a loud hurrah from the ground adjacent to the abbey door. "'A true, hearty English shout, such as no other nation on the earth can give.' and the royal procession was seen returning all pressed as near as they could and richard of woodville gained a place in front where he waited calmly uncovered for the passing of the king on came the train bishops and abbots priests and nobles the pages the knights the bearers of the royal emblems and all eyes were turned to one person as with a step not haughty but calm and firm, such as might well accord with a heart fixed and confident to keep the solemn vows so lately made, in scrupulous fidelity, with a brow elevated by high and noble purposes, more than by the splendour of the crown it bore, and with an eye lightening with genius and soul, Henry of Monmouth returned towards his palace, amidst the gratulating acclamations of his people richard of woodville saw Hall of hadnock in the whole bearing of the monarch as he had seen the prince in the bearing of Hall of hadnock and he murmured to himself he is the same tis but the dress is altered either in mind or body excluded from the tasks of royalty he assumed a less noble guise but still the man was the same as he thus thought the king passed before him looking to right and left upon the long lines of people that bordered his way though marching in his state he distinguished no one by word or gesture his eyes indeed fixed firmly for an instant upon richard of woodville and a slight smile passed over his lip but he went on without further notice and the young gentleman turned as soon as he had gone by thinking i will seek some inn and come to the palace to-morrow to-day it is in vain the pressure of the multitude however prevented him from moving for some time and he was forced to remain till the whole of the procession had gone by. He then made his way out of the crowd, which gradually became less compact, though few retired altogether, the great number waiting either to discuss the events of the day or to see if any other amusements would be afforded to the people. But it was some time before the young gentleman could find his horses, for the movements of the people had forced them from the place where they had been left. Just as he was at length putting his foot in the stirrup, Ned Dyeron pulled his sleeve, saying, "'There is a King's page, my master, looking for someone in the crowd. Always give yourself a chance. It may be you he seeks.' "'I think not,' replied Richard of Woodville. "'But you can join him and inquire, if you will.' The man instantly ran off at full speed, and though soon forced to slacken his pace amongst the people, he in the end reached the page and asked for whom he was looking. "'A gentleman in black,' replied the boy, "'named Richard of Woodville.' "'Then there he is,' answered Ned, "'pointing with his hand to where his master stood, "'and, followed by the page, he walked quickly to the spot. "'If your name be Richard of Woodville, sir,' said the boy, "'the King will see you now, "'while he is putting off his heavy robes "'and taking some repose.' "'I follow, young sir,' replied Woodville, "'and, accompanying the page, he turned towards the palace, "'while Ned Dyeram, after a moment's hesitation, pursued the same course as his master, in order, as he said mentally, always to give himself a chance. End of chapter 7